The following podcast will contain spoilers for all aired episodes in HBO's Game of Thrones and all published books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. I just kind of wonder if they have like a designated position at Winterfell now that's like body cleaner upper. It's like, <laughs> yeah, probably, I usually just try to follow... I just yeah. try to follow Sir Ramsay around uh, the <laughs> castle. Something usually turns up. Welcome to the Bastards of Kings Grave Dragon Cast Edition. We're back this week to review the fourth episode of Game of Thrones Season 6, titled The Book of the Stranger, directed by Daniel Sackheim, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. My name is Zach, also known as Alias on the Forums, and joining me for this review, we have... Hey, this is Small Paul, Sir General on the Forums. Hey, this is Adam Drown Snow on the Forums. This is Bing, Shushan on the Forums. This is Katie, Lady Griffin on the Forums. This is Paul, also known as Pod's Plight. This is Michal, Ink as Rain on the Forums. This is Alex, known as Lucky Charms on the Forums. This is Casey, Blue-Eyed Queen on the Forums. And I'm Varley, I'm the caboose of the episode. <laughs> That's right. So yes, we're back again to review yet another episode of Game of Thrones. This time around, actually, we're going to be doing it a little bit different because the episode actually was kind of convoluted for once. There's some jumping around, so this time we'll be going location to location, starting with all of the stuff that happened at the Wall and then ending with all of the stuff that happened in Vase Dothrak. So, That's we'll crazy, Zach. How will yeah. I keep up? I don't know. It's going to be wild and wacky. It's going <laughs> to be a new experience. But first, let's go ahead and do... The Lemon Cake Reviews, starting with, with you, Small Paul. What did you think of, of episode four? I'm giving it a 4.5 out of 5 for just a whole bunch of good stuff. Deducted half a point for any scene with Ramsey. All right. And Adam? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. I think watching it again today, I'm going to stretch it out. I didn't like the Ramsey scene for reasons that we'll get into, but whatever. This episode was really great. Okay. What did you think, Bing? Um, this is four out of five, I guess. It's I can I can feel how rushed everything is now. Like they're they're just killing characters left and right. They're like Danny didn't stay out of her triumph mode very for very long. They're just trying to push everything towards the end, which is fine. This episode there's a lot of very good scenes in which they they were able to do that with, but eh, four out of five. Okay. And Katie? I guess I'll give it a four. Uh, I thought the Ramsey and the Littlefinger scenes were complete wastes of time and didn't care with the weird discomfort of Tyrion White splaining to Miss Sandy and Grey Worm <laughs> about slavery. But other than that, there was, uh, there was some definite high points, especially with Sansa up at the wall. And yeah, I mean, it was fun. And after last week, I think I was uh, ready for there to be fun again. Very cool. And Big Paul, what did you think? Um, I'm going to take a page out of Bing's book from episode two and give it a 4.20 because Danny oh. loves to blaze it up and uh, burn stuff down. <laughs> So, uh, oh my god! Nice, nice, nice. It was Amazing. a lot of fun to see all these, a lot of these scenes that were going on, and things are moving along rapidly, and it's a lot of fun. There's some weird stuff, but we're having fun. Cool. And Michal, what did you think? Um, yeah, I'd probably give it maybe like a three seven five four. I I I feel oddly kind of unmoved by it even though i don't know i guess i guess i'm just like whenever the good stuff happens i'm like and and they certainly played their like good eight at the beginning of this episode for sure because that was you know like after that it it kind of immediately met a certain level of like satisfaction i think um for people 
Yeah, but uh, but I you know the, right like the 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 Ramsey stuff is always like it, it's always like a guess about whether it will contribute or just be there to horrify, and you know the uh, Tyrion. I really wanted to just I want to just like slap his nose off or something. Um, but and Danny, uh, I don't know. We'll talk about the ending. I don't hate it. It's just I think when you come from the books, you do have a certain like level of expectation that sometimes is not met by the show. And then it's just like, oh, okay, that's cute, you know. And everyone on Twitter is like losing their shit, and it's like, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, and Alex, what did what did you think of the episode? I suppose I'd give it four sensual bites of mutton out of five. Ooh. <laughs> I've sort of Ooh. made my peace with a lot of the divergences from the novels, and I'm just sort of enjoying myself, not having an aneurysm every episode. Yeah, that must good, be nice. Good. <laughs> well, what did you think, Casey? I gave it a, a 4.5 out of 5. I really enjoyed this episode. I mean, it made me laugh. It made me cry a little bit. It made me horrified, as it usually does at points. But I really loved it. The only things I have, are, which are really just nitpicks, are the OSHA scene. And some, the Tyrion logic just isn't really like clicking with me that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Matt, last but not least. Eh, I'm not sure about that. Um, I'm giving this a five out of five. I loved it. Brother sister reunions all over the place. Brienne, uh, Tormund, you know, s- shipping, and uh, I would. I don't want to say white splaining, but dick splaining. Uh, that's what Tyrion's doing to <laughs> Sandy and uh, Grey. <laughs> <laughs> he's the only one between the three of them that has a dick so. well he has an authority on the subject oh huh he's a purveyor of cock merchants and whatnot um, oh yeah he knows people yeah <laughs> Shit. um yeah i mean lots of brother sister reunions this episode uh, viserys might have been like in a puddle on the ground there with, with daenerys too so that's another one <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I'd give it a pretty high rating as well. Probably like a four out of five lemon cakes. The first bit and the last bit were both very exciting, and it's always fun when there's something energizing and cool in Game of Thrones that you didn't necessarily expect and just, you know, makes you happy. The episode, for the most part, with a couple exceptions, was pretty crowd-pleasing, which was interesting. Game of Thrones doesn't normally do that kind of thing, so... Curious to see where they go with that, but yeah, for the most part, pretty good so far. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into the review proper, starting with the wall, where we begin with Ed trying to convince John to stay and face the threat to the north. John is unconvinced. The conversation is interrupted by a horn, and the gates are thrown open to reveal Sansa, Brienne, and Podrick. Sansa and John share a stunned moment at their unlikely reunion so many years later and embrace. They speak of all they have gone through in the time between, and Sansa tries to convince Jon to go and face the Ramsay threat to the south. Jon is unconvinced, tired of all the fighting. Sansa says that she will go to retake Winterfell with or without him. So yes, very heartwarming moment here. Was anyone else like, this can't be happening? Kinda. Sansa's wanted to go to the Wall to meet Jon. How is this, how is is the desire being met? Like, it felt, I I feel the same way in the books, I think. It was just such a... You know, so 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 long of people missing each other, right, and not seeing each other in six years, and then all of a sudden, yep, she just rises up, and there he is, and it's like, whoa, that was almost too easy. Not in a bad way, just in like a, I didn't expect that to happen. Like someone's about to get a spear through the throat, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right yeah. before this happy moment. Yeah. 
I feel like I feel like I I wasn't I don't know what I was really really ready to accept it, and also like in the back of my mind I was like oh they're gonna kill Rickett so they're giving us this now you know, but I was just yeah. too happy like I teared up a little seeing this and I guess this is the first time those two have been on the screen together at least that's what, that's what they said after bit. the episode so huh. which I didn't realize yeah I mean I. I really love this, and I feel like, in uh, retrospect, I kind of felt like this is a little bit weird, but when I was watching that scene, I was just like, oh my god, they're seeing each other for the first time, and I I cried. <laughs> well, and you know what? Like, we, we've, we've complained a lot about how the show has kind of become fan fiction at this point, and a lot of the stupid things they do, and we get mad at it, but, you know, if it's fan fiction, they can give us nice stuff like this, right? Like, that's right. fine. You know, like, yeah, like, this is to. more of this. I'm, I'm, you know, this is great. So, that and Brienne and Tormund Smut. So, yeah. <laughs> so, the opening shot is of Longclaw. And I was like, I distinctly remember John walking at Castle Black saying his watch is done with Longclaw on his hip. Yeah, he handed off the cloak. Yeah. What the fuck did, like, is that another oh, like, continuity thing? Or something, or? Yeah, where he's like, yeah, he had a loincloth over himself, like, in the first episode, but then woke up completely naked. What happened? He was like, now my watch has ended. Oh, shit, I forgot my keys. I gotta come back. Like, well, see, like, yeah, this is what I said at the end of the last episode, was that they just wanted to end with kind of that mic drop on that here. You know, my watch has ended, you know, and I'm whispering it so no one can hear me. And then he had and to, like, just swivel right back yeah, around. They, like, well, back yeah, he had to go to his room and get all of his shit. Yeah. Like, they wanted that moment, and I'm like, I bet next episode we're gonna get that. Where they kind of have to explain all this, and sure enough, like you know, it would have been a downer, I guess, to make that the end of the episode where he's like, you know, logistics and shit. So like, I get doing that. I was listening back to the Dragon Cast from last week, and you totally called it. You you basically said, yeah, he'd circle back and he'd just go to his room or something, and he, he definitely did. And I was I was thrown for a loop when that happened. So so good call. <laughs> he had to take a moody walk around to clear his head and then just come back. You no, know, they've always had this problem with the wall of people just forgetting that there is an apocalypse coming. But for John to be like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm really down about this. I think I need a career change. It makes sense if there wasn't zombies coming, <laughs> like right. with winter. It, it mm-hmm. just feels really incongruent with, with what we know as viewers. And like I said, they always have this problem with the wall of people not communicating that there's some real about bad shit zombies. coming. You know, there's And fight. fucking Ed even reminds them, right? I think that we're taking we're taking this for granted a bit. Because in my mind, this makes perfect sense. Because last week, what we were saying is like, oh, he seems like nothing's wrong with him, right? Well, maybe that moment where he decides to kill them instead of sparing them, maybe that is kind of the out-of-character John moment where he just doesn't... He's like less in touch with his emotions. He, he just doesn't give as many fucks as he did before he died. And maybe not necessarily just because he died and was betrayed, but maybe some of that was left behind. And now he just wants to go south, get warm, and get a tan. Yeah, and maybe he's like, so what about the whites, man? Yeah, I I was fucking dead, and now I'm alive, and yeah, like look at Sansa had to really step up and be like, hey, Winterfell, dude, like what the hell? Like you should be on this too. I think it makes sense for Jon's priorities to shrink at this point, for sure. Uh, I just think that it was a little bit of a bumpy transition. You know, like, I think that that was pretty powerful in the last episode. And if Sansa had gotten to the wall and it was like, like, you literally just missed him. You know, <laughs> he was It would have been so much rage. South, you know, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I sort of think that maybe would have made a little bit more sense. But I don't have a problem with John being like, so, so everyone dies, you know, so I'll die again. Everyone you know? dies. Why do we got to go back to Winterfell? Uncle Owen, that John has a bad motivator. <laughs> 
the center. I just want to go to the Tashi station. Oh, oh don't comp- no. Oh. <laughs> I almost wonder if um, they're trying to pull off a John's like anger is a change for him, but it's just not coming off that well because maybe well, can not. hear. Yeah, I because I, I feel like there's certain things that he does that I'm like, oh yeah, he's this is not typical Jon Snow that we know from the past five seasons, and then we're getting him a little bit angrier now, but it's just not. He's his facial expression is still that sad Jon Snow looking face. It's really he even mentions. <laughs> he even mentions he's like I was always sulking in the corner. Ugh. Yeah, it's like, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> Nothing has changed. <laughs> but it, it, it was certainly nice to see a whole new perspective of Sansa being, like, happy and jovial for once in her life. Oh yeah, it's been yeah. seasons and seasons since we've seen her happy and smiling and joking about stuff. And did anyone else know, like, she was, like, redder? Her hair seemed redder? Her cheeks were redder? Yeah. I compared to, like, the blue filter they've had on her since like, she, like, escaped winter. She was in the water. <laughs> yeah, well, she looks remarkably good for having gone through all of that. She perks up really quickly, but whatever. Yeah. Well, that soup was just so fucking good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Three-finger wow. hob soup. New woman. We'll just do yeah, that. Yeah, I took issue with, with Dolores Ed shitting on the food. Three-fingered <laughs> hob is the best cook in all of Westeros. Come on. I did feel a little bad for John since he's the only youngster that didn't hit a huge growth spurt, so he's like the shortest Stark now, and Sans was way bigger than him. Well, Sans, she's just very tall. I mean. He's also lost several inches of hair, so that doesn't help. But yeah, we have uh, Jeff, Jeff14 joining us. Jeff, what did you think of the episode? Sorry for just... Bouncing in. I liked it a lot. I would have given it a five, but the last part kind of brought it down. Oh. Okay, curious to see why you felt that way. <laughs> okay, so like, I'd probably give it like a four. All right. So wow, it brought it way down for you. <laughs> mm. yeah. A whole lemon cake. All right, any other thoughts on the bit on the wall? The first bit on the wall. Oh, do me. Do me. Uh, Amber, what did, you, what did you think? <laughs> Hello, this is Amber Rock. I really liked it. I gave it four and a half stars, but I usually rate it pretty high. Because I had a heads up that everybody loved this episode, so I don't think I, that made me like it less, but... We've influenced you. But it was just kind of like, oh yeah, that was good. It wasn't like... But I wanted to say, I think that... Oh, I totally cried. John and Sansa. Oh my god, I cried. I cried enough that my husband made fun of me for crying. Oh, and I don't think... I don't think John hanging those dudes was any sign of him changing i don't think it's anything different than he would have because when they were talking at lunch or dinner or whatever sorry he was saying i did this i fought that i killed these guys i killed my friends i killed my enemies i hung i hung a boy and he kind of just listed that as the things he was doing the battles he was fighting it's not like you know he kind of just counted that as as part of his history it wasn't anything new i mean i think hanging was okay with him because i mean he chopped off a What's his fuck's head? Exactly. He, he, the way flipped. he did it was a little different. Like, maybe his attitude about it. But he did see when he was like, yeah, I hung a boy, Brand's age. Like, he did seem a bit torn up about that, I guess. And, yeah. I do think Ollie and Jano Slint are very different propositions. Jano Slint is a, is a, is a dick and yeah. a pretty evil person. Uh, was, Ollie stabbed the fucker. Yeah, I would cut true. the shit off his, of his head. True. <laughs> but he's still like, and he has reasons. And he understands what those reasons are. Right? Yeah, there's a definite difference there. But I even think he felt shitty about killing Thorn. I think he he yeah yeah you know like the also the disgust on his face when like he's hearing the other guys you know who are 
clearly not malicious and just kind of like either following Thorne's lead or trying for one like little gasp of glory or whatever it was. And it's just like this pathetic revolution that worked. <laughs> and then like they had like the ultimate boiler, literally, you know, come Magic. down on them. Did it seem like his decision to be like, I'm not Lord Commander anymore? Did it seem like that was just what he intended all along? Or did it seem like maybe Thorne's words got him got to him? He's like, oh, you're just going to be fighting forever because you're, you're immortal now. And he was just kind of like, yeah, I'm done with this. Like, I, I think know. it's multiple reasons. I think he has many reasons to be the way he is right now. Being killed, definitely up there. I think that that's believable. <laughs> just a, a last thought on the, the stuff with, with John and Sansa. I was wondering why I had such an emotional reaction to that moment and it wasn't really clear to me until i thought about it a little bit more and it's just when you think about it there's so much subtext to that moment that you don't necessarily get that you get a little bit of it later in the next scene where they're kind of talking about the fact that of the stark children these two were the most estranged so it was just kind of an amazing moment to see the two characters that actually in the show never even had an encounter just be so willing to go to each other and find comfort in each other and i don't know it was just real good and really well done so yeah well it it definitely like you forget just how long it's been yeah you know it's been years and years and years since they've seen or you know heard of each other i was kind of wondering when john was bitching about all the fighting he's done do you think that it ever came out what's what all this shit that sansa has been through like or does he do they not talk about that and he just assumes the worst? Well, she's you know? not even telling Brienne. I mean, they had that moment in the second episode or whatever where Brienne was like, what happened with Ramsay? And Sansa just didn't say anything. So I, I don't know. I kind of, I did want Sansa, like Sansa's, Sansa was great the whole time, but, but I did kind of want her to be like, you know, when she says, I'll take back the North, like, with or without you, like, that's a great moment, but it kind of wasn't backed up with anything, and I kind of wanted her to be like, look, I have fucking suffered, and I will do mm-hmm. this, you know? Like, just yeah. elaborate a little bit She's more. Like, I, on- I need a win, kind of, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, we do have the part where Melisandre tells Davos that she will follow Jon Snow, the prince who was promised. Davos He's says, like, what are you doing? She's what, like, what I'm about- going where God is. <laughs> and Davos is like, "Where's what about Stannis, though? And Melisandre tells of his defeat at Winterfell. Finally! Davos, before Davos can find out what happened to Shireen, Brienne arrives to tell them that she executed the would-be king and that he admitted to her that he used dark magic to kill Renly with a pointed look at the Red Woman, so... Yes, the, yeah. After that tender moment, this was an exceptionally awkward moment with these people coming together to have, have gripes with each other. Poor Greg. Confirmation. Yeah. 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 Oh, he's still alive. Super he's dead. lying. I thought the shared look of embarrassment between Davos and Melisandre was actually pretty great. Yes, <laughs> that side look. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we did use blood magic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and we did kill his brother. Shit. It is confusing yeah. to me that this is the first time he's asking anything about Shireen, I would have assumed there was a, would have been a conversation to just be like, oh, uh, yeah, Shireen died with everyone else, and I got away somehow, you know. And then, like, at the very least, well, why didn't you save her? Like, why didn't she come with you or something? I don't know. Or is she a hostage? That makes a lot more sense for her to be Ramsay Bolton's hostage. But yeah, it's like, how do you get away and she doesn't, I think, is the question Davos should be yeah. having. Do we think that maybe Davos is avoiding the reality that he probably already knows, though? 
Could be. I also think it's possible that that just so much stuff has been going on at the wall that he's been distracted, possibly, in his yeah. pursuit. Of. Let's have a look at John opening up a letter from Ramsay over a nice dinner and learning that the Bolton Bastard has Rickon Stark as his captive. The letter promises torment after torment for Ramsay's enemies. Sansa finishes the letter when John cannot and is newly determined to fight for Winterfell and save Rickon. John finally agrees to lend his aid. Tormund tells him that the wildlings lack the forces to truly battle a northern host, and Sansa tells John to use his status as the last free son of Eddard Stark to rally northern swords to his cause. So he has this kind of interesting change of the dynamic that we were well you guys were speculating on last episode about whether or not it's possible that the stuff with with the the umbers could have been duplicitous they could be in the grand uh, umber conspiracy or something but we'll have to see i don't know how this changes it what do you guys think uh, i think it just i mean i just think it is what it, they've shown us i think it just it is what it is and i i mean that's okay i guess Agreed. I think they're this year's Thens. Yeah, the Thens were super different, but, like, they worked on the show or, like, whatever. Yeah, but they bring up, like, all the time, like, the North remembers Northern, like, all all behind the Starks. I I mean, they they set it up, and I think they're just going to set it down for a little bit. I think it's more about leaving themselves options. Like, we see this, like, they they set up Taisha in Season 1 and then didn't go there. Or they set up something and then they decide to go a different direction. If you set something up that's small, you can remind people later about it. Or if you decide to go a different direction, you can just sort of sweep it under the rug or introduce something that contradicts it. It's always best in the early seasons to just keep options open because they don't yeah. have the whole series planned out. If Well, I guess there's still a possibility if somehow that wasn't Shaggy Dog, which I am doubting. And, I mean, what I do we think- see in the later scene is, like, Asha's in for an assassination attempt. So maybe that's something that they th- was maybe part of I think, a, uh, a potential plan. I don't know. I've- I think Rickon's actor confirmed he was Shaggy Dog. What? Confirmed. Well, he John shouldn't Snow. be doing that. Jon Snow was dead. It's not Papier Mache. Sorry, Greg. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Papier Mache. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it is, then you know, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you guys are right. It's probably it, it's probably as simple as as the Umbers and the Karstarks are with Ramsay, and, and Jon's gonna find some other Northern lords to help him. Hopefully, ones with big buckets in their name. That would be cool. Big buckets, bare walls, and too fat to sit horses exactly shit we're fucked though yeah though we do we do know that supposedly ramsey at least believes that the manderleys are on his side so it'll be curious to see if they do introduce them and how they will play into it they probably should have gone with sansa rallies the north and john the commander and then john becomes the targaryen and then sansa pledges fealty to john and then you both get john and sansa in places of power i have a feeling it's gonna play that way eventually thoughts on Tormund and Brienne the, the ship that was promised yeah. of course gross so yeah. cute awesome oh my god gross. I'm so oh, oh, gross oh, we got we got gross we got awesome why not because Leave Brienne's Brienne not alone. interested yeah that's yeah. the reason <laughs> Brienne likes yeah. handsome men okay and needs to be with Jamie although at this point Jamie doesn't deserve her the whole joke just seems to be he's really into her and she's really not into him and so yeah. there's a giant bear in the middle of that relationship and Torben wants to snuggle up and Brienne wants to fight it <laughs> yeah yeah we can we can return to the Torben Brienne if anything does happen with it later we'll see there's there's no guarantees it could just be a joke yeah so we then go to to runestone I think it's like some place in the Vale where young races where Littlefinger returns to the Vale and approaches Robin Arryn and Yonor as the boy practices in the yard. Peter offers a pet falcon as a gift. Sorry, a, a jeer falcon as a gift. 
for his nephew, and the young lord gladly accepts. When Royce demands to know how Sansa was married to Ramsay, Littlefinger simply says that Bolton men captured her because geography isn't a thing, and suggests that the Vale Lord... Someone added that, I can tell. <laughs> it suggests that the Vale Lord himself may have been involved. Robin is all for a Moondor execution, but Littlefinger talks him down when Bronzion swears his loyalty. Littlefinger says that Sansa has escaped to Castle Black, and that, that it is time for the Vale to finally join the fray. What moon door does he have? He's going to throw a guy off like 30 feet. Yeah, they're going to they're 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 climb, make the perilous climb back yeah, up to the moon door. The budget moon door. <laughs> yeah, the bloody guy. The, the guy's going to be like, oh no, feet. ouch, ouch. That really hurt. <laughs> Fuck, guys. I think I broke my leg. All right, all right. So who hates this scene? I hate it. Here. Oh, I'm re- I, I, will, I will fight you. <laughs> it just, I guess the characterization of Robin is disappointing for me and it's not because i need robin specifically to be a nuanced and interesting character like he's slowly becoming in the books ever since his mother died but it's just that i feel like we already have enough monsters who are just monsters but yeah i mean he has no empathy he has no nuance he's just there to be manipulated by Littlefinger, and i don't know i feel like we already have enough of these characters and it just it would have been more interesting if there was an actual feeling of conflict between him not being sure what to do, whether he should be manipulated by Littlefinger or I don't know, just having any sort of inner conflict. It just came off as a really boring having a thought in his head. Yeah, it just felt really boring to me and probably the least interesting direction they could have chosen. Agreed. Were, were you feeling that there was kind of a like a hint of Joffrey kind of in him? Is that what you're seeing? Or? Even less. It was more like Ramsay. It's just like there's nothing to him. Yeah, I mean, he's I, just a brat. To me, I just kind of felt like he was a prop. I, th- I thought that the stuff between Littlefinger and Bronzion is what made the scene, and then the fact that the plot is moving forward. I don't know. I don't expect anything out of Robin. It's just I think that you know, like forget almost almost forget about Robin like. Littlefinger Littlefinger actually had an opportunity to be challenged last season where it was like, oh, this marriage that you arranged went horribly wrong, you know? Yeah. And we don't see any of his response to that. And now he, like, rides up and is like, you know, I'm just going to do this little my, my magic manipulation on, on him and Robin and, like, just get them all to think whatever it is, you know? Like, oh, yeah, this was all Joan Royce's fault, even though... Like, Royce has, like, raised Robin for the past two years, year, whatever it is, you know, and, like, they, he knows him. And it's it's just that, like, it's it's really, for me, the con- the lack of conflict at all in the scene where it's, like, I know that Littlefinger's going to get what he wants. So make him work for it a little bit, but you know? But he got him a jeer falcon, the rarest <laughs> of all birds. I was like, <laughs> how, like... I wonder how much blood was shed to get that falcon. I'm really concerned that we're going. He's going to get killed, like within the next few episodes. And Littlefinger. Yeah, I I, I really think they're going to off him, and it makes. I me, hope so, and I hope Sansa does it. I don't want him to get off, and not because I don't think he deserves it. It's just they keep killing characters, and not in a cathartic or interesting way. It's just get like wiping a hand across the cast list. Like, who do we actually really need in these last yep. few seasons? Not this one. Not this one. And. Littlefinger, for several seasons, like he has been, <laughs> whatever his motivations are, it feels like someone he feels like someone to be reckoned with, like someone with a motivation and a plan. And we don't get that right here. It feels like 
I think we're all kind of scrambling. Like we don't have a sense of what he wants or really what the show want writers want him to want, which I think is more troubling. It does feel like they could just, he could just get up there, give, you know, John and Sansa the 200 nights or whatever it is, and then get, be killed off. And there wouldn't be any further ripples on the story. I don't know if that's the way that they're going to go. At least we do have some hint that, that there will be some kind of confrontation next episode. But I don't really see him being killed right away, but I do kind of feel sometimes like they're like, well, we can't deal with this anymore, so dead. Yeah, lately especially. What's best case scenario for him? He goes and meets up with the army and they take back Winterfell and, I mean, Sansa's the queen in the north or something and they create a new kingdom. I don't really, I'm trying to figure out what could be something i have a crackpot theory does anyone think he's gonna try like they're gonna get rid of ramsey and then he's gonna try to marry her off to sweet robin well but he can't marry her off anymore right well i mean just an alliance i suppose why wouldn't he marry her himself i don't know that's the part that confuses me but i guess like uh... this is my crackpot theory and i'm go and i i can't believe i'm getting giving D this much credit but i'm like oh a gift of a jeer falcon like in medieval falconry like that's actually a, it's a wow. bird reserved for a king usually and i'm like are they really driving oh. for that sort of level of nuance and symbolism and i i don't think they are but that's my crackpot theory either way i, I hope that Littlefinger lives long enough to see the actual threat of the White Walkers and see that all his scheming was for nothing and he was really pointless they if they do manage to save Rickon which I'm not hopeful for that I mean that could a marriage could work because then Rickon would be Lord of Winterfell right so marry Rickon to Sweet Robin (laughs) I don't think that's allowed in Westeros they're not that forward thinking two kings they can both get they can both get (laughs) Uh, Jerry Falcons to replace dead wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind if it ends up being they capture Baelish and then just, oh, all right, we can let him go. And Sansa's just like, let him go beyond the wall. They just kind of shove him out into the snow. Oh, if they capture him, you got to think he's got some something up his sleeve where it's like, you need me for something. I don't know. <laughs> he's negotiating with the others. Naturally. <laughs> no, I meant, li- I meant like... Uh, <laughs> I met Sansa and John and all them. If if they decide like to be like we don't like him, screw him. They, he's he's got something you know up his sleeve. Baelish comes back. Ah yes, I've now arranged a uh, marriage between Sansa and the Night's King. There's gonna be yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear he's a great guy. He's he's like a thousand years old, but but my little birds tell me he's a great guy. He's and, a fixed uh, he huge tracks of land to offer. <laughs> Also, he he promises not to murder us all and turn us into whites. <laughs> I'm sorry, I really like that that idea. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and go to Maureen, everybody's favorite part of the book and the show, where Tyrion meets with the Masters of Slayer's Bay despite the protests of his so-called partners in government. He proposes that the Masters can maintain the slave trade for seven years so long as they cease any support of the Sons of the Harpy. The freedmen arrive to protest this action, but are talked down by Missandei and Grey Worm. In private, they oppose any kind of connection with the Masters, and that despite his brief sojourn as a cock merchant fodder, he does not understand what it is truly like to be a slave. So yes, more Tyrion stuff. I had no real problem with this, because I felt it... Uh, kind of match Tyrion's character. He's all been about kind of compromises and kind of just he'll do it his way 
and not really taking a hard-line stance on very much. But then you see Missandei and Grey Worm, who have been oppressed by the system of slavery for so long, that they know that they want it gone. Meanwhile, Tyrion's just like, oh yeah, yeah, it'll be gone, but in like seven years. And Missandei and Grey Worm are still like, well, no, that's still too fucking long. I just, it's impossible for me to get invested in any of this, because none of it matters, right? Because seven years are not going to pass before this story is over. But again, I know, like, characters will be characters, they'll do what they are supposed to do. But yeah, it's just impossible for me to care about any of this. Yeah, I was just watching this go down, and and it was like, okay, you know, you can, you have, um, you know, seven years to phase out your slaves, and I just expected the slavers to go like, or what? Like, we yeah. own half of a marine, you know, you have no army. This is, like, this is not a negotiation. This is a, we're telling, this is a terms of surrender. I think what they're thinking is, and probably what Tyrion's thinking as well, is buying time. I don't think anyone thinks of this as a, I mean, he's giving an ultimatum here, and he's trying to come from a position of strength, saying, like, oh, well, the queen, you know, queen will be back soon, man. And I think he really hopes that, but he really needs to buy himself some breathing room so they can find her, deal with the, you know, getting the dragons ready, and maybe convince oh, her to leave. So you think it's hoping? all bullshit? You yeah. think he's just spinning a story? I think it's mostly bullshit, and it's the only card he has to play. I, I don't think he likes slavery, but he also thinks he can just kind of fix this, and at the very least create a temporary solution, and you know, take the heat off of them, etc. Well, I, I think. He's really taking a Joseph Stiglitz model of transitioning a an economy from one to another, whereas like Jeffrey Sachs one, where he went communist Poland to capitalist Poland and it worked, and he tried it with Russia and it fucking did not work. So it's like they need to actually establish institutions over these seventy years Ooh. that will like have like. Your master's degree is showing that. that hey, yeah. I know shit. I know. <laughs> but yeah, to set up like institutions that will like actually enforce contracts and stuff like that. So like the slaves are no longer slaves or entrepreneurs that can actually get investments from banks and have them secured by other higher up government authorities and stuff like that. Just yeah, I'm definitely torn between the two of these positions of he thinks it's actual, actually a viable solution or he's just procrastinating and thinking around until new things happen. I'm kind of leading toward just uh, trying to put things off for later and waiting for things to play out. I don't think he actually thinks that, well, he might think it could work, but it doesn't Listen, seem that way. Anymore. Like, why wouldn't he just tell um, yeah. Sandy and Grey Worm, like, I'm full of shit. We're waiting for that's Danny to come say, back. Yeah. Like, because that's the easiest way to win them over to this cause, not try to, not, to ideologically change the lives of two people who have spent the majority of their lives tortured by the same people they were just in a meeting with. Because options... You know, you got to leave your options open, and if he has to actually end up committing to that and trying to make that work somehow. It's also just like, I don't, again, just going back to, I don't understand what's backing this up from, like, if he is really bullshitting, that's fine, but I don't understand why the masters are coming, like, why this whole thing is happening, really. Like, Mm -hmm. why are there negotiations being made? Do they have an army? I mean, how many Unsullied are they do now. But they do have dragons, and they've seen the dragons in action. <laughs> they in the do city. now. Yeah, they have two. They have two dragons that sure. No okay, so they have that one dragons. wild card that like. Like no the, the Dothraki even know she has dragons and they don't care. I feel like though this scene was good at though explaining like how precarious the situation is in Marine, and more on the point for Tyrion. I think 
there was almost two layers of the conversation going on. One with just talking uh, an associate associated with the Grey Worm and Masandi about just compromise and looking for a solution, and then also implying to the Grandmasters that you don't have to have slavery to be rich and kind of pushing towards the idea in Westeros how essentially the peasants are indentured servants and you can kind of play to their greed. You can get rid of slavery and just call it something different, which is terrible, but at the same time, pragmatic in Tyrion's sense. But yeah, the people could all move away in that point, right? Anyone who doesn't want to live there can at least like try to seek a better life somewhere else if they felt like it. And it's just like, yeah, the, the economy, it makes sense that you, you, overnight, because they're seeing it in Marine, like overnight it didn't work. And like trying to govern this city and then trying to tell other people to do the same thing. The economy! Yes, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully it'll all work. Oh boy. Alright, <laughs> yeah. so let's go ahead and move to King's Landing, where Marjorie is brought to meet with the High Sparrow. The old Septon tells a long story about his shoemaking days, speaking of economy and stuff. And how greed and indulgence are bad and stuff. He takes Marjorie. Oh my god, that story was so long. Oh, I was yeah, trying to interrupt yeah. you. I was just it, like, what are you I had to watch it a few talking? times to like oh, understand what he was saying because I was getting bored with it. Yeah, was he ripping off the seven pointed star or was that really his yeah. story? I don't know what's going on. So, so then he takes Marjorie to see Loris broken down and ready to do anything to escape this torment. So, yes, another. Another one of, of the High Sparrow pontificating, as, as he is wont to do. The part with the Sparrow wasn't great, but once we got to Loris, like, oh. Yeah, pretty brutal. That was so sad. It's mm-hmm. interesting that he doesn't have, I mean, I understand why he doesn't, because he's a Zalit, but he tells this story wait, about wait understanding he's, that... He's did you just say Zalit? Zalit. 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 I've always heard... Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, he, he tells this long story about how the class system is is essentially it's a it's a socially constructed illusion, and it's like okay, I follow you, but like most zealots or zealots, if you will, he doesn't really zealots. have the, he doesn't have the perspective that his religion is also a narrative that puts him in a place of power. It's 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 just interesting that like he has that hypocrisy at his core that he has constructed his whole his whole spiel is that he doesn't he 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 sees the hypocrisy of like class-based society but he doesn't really see the hypocrisy of a theocracy or religion-based society yeah well i mean according to him that's a merit-based society right like not what whereas well i mean there's two things going on there's the merit-based society and then there's also the idea that like the whole like oh this is but a veil you know um and and the true the true goals in life or the afterlife, like what Cersei says, he's not, he doesn't care about any of this. This isn't real to him. So he's not, that's like, that's not going to be valuable to him. So he just considers, you know, everything is like a barrier to that. And he's allowed to rule because he's wearing a potato sack. Right, exactly. And it's interesting the way he takes the reins of power. Like he's, he is, it is, it is pretty skillful the way it's written that he is like, because he's very, very definitively, I think, taking taking the reins of power, you know, over Tommen. I think that was, you know, very notable. But he does it in such a way where you can see how it's easily ignored and how he would self-justify that. Yeah, I don't have a lot of thoughts on it. I was hoping Marjorie would go, like, full sass on him and just, like, call him on all this, this bullshit, but... 
I guess she's trying to escape and whatnot. I just she doesn't want more punishment for Laura. She has reasons for that. Yeah. I'm just curious, what was his what was his goal in in, you know, letting her see Loris? Like she had it kind of in mind that, that what she it would was to be, break Loris. That's what she says. That's it was what to break she says. Loris? Well that's what she says, but he seems to already be broken, so yeah, I think maybe it's to, be to a get her deal. in line. Yeah, I didn't think it was for Loris's benefit. I think he is manipulating her and giving her a carrot instead of the stick for once. I think the Highsboro is manipulating Marjorie. I don't think he yeah. gives a shit about Loris because Loris is very tractable. He's He just wants out of this bullshit. It seems like he's ready to confess to anything. Whereas Marjorie yeah. is not going to break, and so she needs to be given incentive, and the incentive is, look, take care of your brother, do what's right for oh, him. Oh yeah, I think that, that's definitely and that what's put- happening here. Let's go ahead and get the second part. Cersei and Tommen meeting about the whole High Sparrow problem. Tommen is back to his old strategy mm-hmm. of not wanting to do anything and tells Cersei that Marjorie will have her own walk soon. Cersei goes to tell Kevin and Olena about this and they make a weird plan to use the Tyrell forces to disarm the Faith. I love this. I love Cersei creeping, being a total creeper, and then showing up and Pycelle being like, what's going on? And then I love the little supervillain team up with her and Olena. It's like they give him this, this look, like yes, we must, we must kill Superman, even though we hate each other, you know. So there was some weird miscommunication going on at some level of this, because last week the High Sparrow didn't tell Tommen about anything about Marjorie having to do a walk or anything like that. He just said that Cersei wasn't done and she was going to have a trial. So either he told Cersei something that the High Sparrow didn't say, or maybe he just said it off screen, or Cersei screen. just made up this when she brought it to the Tyrells that it was about it was really about the about her and she made it about Marjorie on her own accord to try to get them to do stuff. They, Either they were saving that as a reveal for Cersei being like, oh no, you know, Marjorie has to do a walk of shame and they wanted that to be revealed in the conversation with the Queen of Thorns. Or, you know, I hadn't really thought about that possibility. Yeah, maybe maybe this is a ruse to get the Tyrells involved. I think it's I think that's a bit too much misdirection. I think it's more likely that Tommen has been fed bullshit by the High Sparrow, so that because he knows he's going to relay it to his mother, in which case she's going to she's going to act first and cause a reaction. There's some kind of other half of this that yeah. we're not seeing yet because it's way but, too obviously put out there and way too like, all right, we're finally gonna, you know, a peasant revolt maybe, maybe or just a hell of a lot of sparrows. It seems in his benefit or the high sparrow at least it seems in his benefit to force the crown's hand so yes. that the peasantry has a reason to push back and they're in the right. Right now he doesn't have the he doesn't have the numbers. Just just his little people. I mean there's he's got a lot of, you know, faith militant, but he couldn't take the keep. He couldn't hold the city. I mean, the city watch could probably take him down if, if Tom had ordered it. And it seems like all the people in the city like the sparrows more than right. they like the guards or the crown. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so if they get all massacred, then the people are going to have a lot to say Well, about but that. at the moment, it doesn't seem like the city is, you know, ready to raise arms or anything. So, like, if the Tyrells show up, I mean, hopefully with enough men, I mean, I don't know. Like, do you think he's got the peasants just waiting to to start a riot and kill off all, well, all these soldiers. Well, this can't possibly just work, right? They can't just, like, the Tyrells are going to show up and win, and that's it. It's not going to be that simple. No. Yeah, no, it's it's not. Something bad is going to happen. I don't know what, but something bad. <laughs> Loris I dies, be, probably. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if Marjorie dies. I think Loris is definitely on the chopping block for entirely cynical trailer reasons that haven't come up in the show yet i've always thought the marjorie has like a big fat target on her back because she's too close to being 
an active player, but she's just she's not quite there. She's not really accomplishing anything, mm. but she could. If she gets back mm. to the to the Red Keep and the Sparrow is either dead or neutralized or there's some kind of standoff, she's a very powerful player in the game all of a sudden, especially with Elena there. And I, I don't think Loris is anywhere near as as powerful a, a, a player. So for me, it's got to yeah. be Marjorie. I, yeah. And I but guess we still it, have to get Club Game Ball, so... Yeah, and... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go ahead and move to the next part. The Iron Islands, where Theon returns to Pike and finds his sister waiting for him in the Seastone chair. Euron doesn't Ugh. have a problem with this because he's not even there. Yara is still mad at Theon for refusing to come with her during her escape attempt, and Theon simply says that he was utterly broken by Ramsay. She demands to know why he has returned to the Iron Islands now, and if his plan is to try to take the chair for himself. Theon <laughs> says that he has no intention of ruling anything and will support her claim to at the King's Moot. Ugh. Iron Island reunions are rough. You know what? I kind of like this. We have to go this. to this, this sad room with the chair. I liked it, too. One person sitting in the chair. This is like uh, the polar opposite of you know, John and Sansa. Yes, it was. It was definitely the, the polar. I mean, I thought I thought it was kind of a good scene, but it was just like poor, you know, Yara. Still, a part time calling her that. Yara. Uh, yeah. Yara equals. It's because she's a pirate. Yara. Etc. Yeah. Yara. <laughs> but she shows up and she's like, "What? You you're trying to you trying to take my claim?" She's like, they, "You know, they sent us your uh, you know your manhood, so uh, screw you." Like, man, just rubbing it in his face. Brutal. Well, she didn't literally I rub mean, it in his face, to be fair. Yeah, and... She could have done that. And he's like... What kind of bothered me, specifically, was um, how just... He's like, I'll give you my support. And I, I'm just like, what support is this? Everyone kind of knows that this is, like, the broken son of Balon. I don't really know how much, like, support well, he could give her besides the fact that he's like, well, I'm... He's not running against it's her. It's still yeah, the son but, of Balon. Yeah, she, he well, can be the VP and uh, balance the ticket. I like this idea that they're working together. I like. I've always liked Yara, um, and I. I am it hurts it. you to say Yara almost <laughs> as much Yara? as it hurts Cersei to say Queen Marjorie. <laughs> it does pain me to say it a little bit, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I, I like this idea. I've always. Here's the thing. I've always kind of thought that there was a certain like softness under, under there. And like it's peaked out every so often, and I feel like this could be a good opportunity for that to like manifest in a mm. in a good way. But it doesn't matter because they're gonna get screwed by Euron next week, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, they're they're both gonna be dead. Yeah, most likely. I mean, what's and best the, case scenario for Theon? Is he becomes like a, a drowned priest or something? I really don't know what his point is. I mean, I guess maybe they could kill Asha and have him be the the candidate who is like, no, we need to have another King's Moot. Well, but I mean, like, let's say in his mind, if he actually helps her become queen, but what's like, yeah, what, what is his, is he going to be a lord of something? Is he just want to be left alone? Like, I don't really understand. Well, I have to, to assume live that quietly. I, yeah, I have to assume that her, like, Balon's thing to her, like, when I'm dead, you can wage all the peace you like, that that isn't as much of a secret, I guess, as or it's not as new information as it would be to, I guess, just the watching audience. And that Theon is aware that she has that kind of plan to just, like, maybe not wage constant war that they are outmatched in 
all the time. Maybe, maybe he'll go to the quiet aisle with the soul wives. Yeah. Yeah, and he well he has no idea his uncle's back, so or I guess she doesn't either at this point. True. Nobody knows. Oh, that's right. She doesn't know. Why are we having a king's mood again? <laughs> Why? There's no. There should be no contest. Why not? Because there's always there a king's no contest, right? It should just the, be. It should just be her, right? <laughs> should just be yeah. the heir. The dude that's not the damp hair said last time that they always have a king's mood, even though they haven't had a king in like 200 years or 300 years. Bizarre. Because of Victorian. There is no Victorian. <laughs> I was just wondering. We did. We do get that scene with Yara and. Doesn't she? She's making out with somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's making out with a lady. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I think uh, they're gonna kill Loris. <laughs> they're gonna kill oh Loris. And... <laughs> I think they're gonna kill Loris and like, whoops, we can't kill the one gay person on the show. Uh, Yara, go kiss some lady. <laughs> Others have noticed this, this as we noted this as well, but this was the third brother sister reunion where the sisters telling the brother like, pull yourself together, buck up, you gotta get over all your brokenness and move on. And so that's noteworthy, I suppose. Don't know what it's meaning, but all the ladies are keeping it together. Yay! Mikal's just in the background. Yay! (laughs) Like the world's tiniest pom-poms I'm waving. Speaking of... All victories yeah, on Speaking of all the fun yeah. and excitement and yay-worthy moments, let's go ahead and go to Winterfell, where we have Osha. <laughs> where we have Osha uh, being brought forward <laughs> yeah. to Ramsay. Ramsay questions the Wildlings. Support of the young Stark boy, or man, or whatever he is at this point, as, as you guys discussed last week. Osha explains that her plan all along was to betray the boy and tries to seduce Ramsay. Ramsay tells her that Theon told him everything and stabs her in the neck with a blade. Ramsay goes back to skinning his apple as as she dies. Ram, the saga of Ramsay continues. I'm just really. curious, like, not that I begrudge Natalia Tena for getting, like, uh, two episodes of credit, I guess, but, like, why couldn't we just have had, like, an Asha died? Yeah, off screen. Yeah, and then we would have had an episode without Ramsay. Very important. I like him too much. It's a little weird. It's boring, and... They got a man crush. I felt really sad when she died. Maybe just, like, just disappointing, like, really, we're doing this again? But also, I I thought she acted it well, just, like, her expression of... It was really sad and kind of shocked. Like, she she really could not reconcile that this had turned on her, and I kind of get what they were doing. Like, I, I guess if they wanted to get rid of her, they were trying to contrast it with when she seduced Theon and... That went splendidly for her, but at this point, yeah, it's it's just rote. It's like, we get it. He's awful. And you got rid of a really awesome character for no reason. Again, four episodes and, in a row. So I think the problem with the show regarding Ramsey is that I think when a fifth book came out, there was a lot of hype about the, 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 the Reek stuff, the Reek plot, the plot line, and a lot of people talking about Ramsey. And it's over on the internet. And I think, oddly, what the showrunners are doing they think they're giving fan service to the to some of the book readers, and I think that that I think that was what started them with season three stuff, in which they showed all the Fion stuff, torture, whereas in the books it was all it was all off screen. And I think eventually they they may have realized that the book readers actually to, to see this on the screen, but I think they just committed at this point. It just comes back to the fact that there's no conflict with him or anyone around him. He nope. yeah he's, he he gets away with everything. I mean, I mean, Joffrey did have that leverage over people, but there was also people keeping him in check and pushing back. And there was always a, a specter of doubt as to whether he was going to get away with the terrible things that he was putting on people. Here, no, I think the writers just, I think they love the actor. And I think they 
for some reason write <laughs> they like writing these scenes week after week. Uh, well, they just have to do keep on building them up and building them up until they can get to the final confrontation. John versus Ramsey, stripped to the waist, man on man well, this, to the death. This is the thing, though. I mean, a lot of people are excited for the the bastard oh, bull. We have many bulls coming, but it would have been yeah. so much more interesting if it, if it had been someone like Roos, someone that was not like the the Mary suit, like you say, Michael. It was just perfect That's in all ways. He's not a great character in the book either, and I'm, I'm not just talking about like morally, but just he's not very interesting as a character in the book either. It's just that there's yep. more going on in Winterfell in the book, so much more going on, whereas it literally is just the Ramsey show here which it just really like i'm not i'm not as excited as i would be for like the the fight with john and everything i do almost wonder though like with um like we see we've had these two seasons where he's tortured theon he's tortured sansa and this season we're getting just him deraveling i almost wonder if that's character development like he's just been losing so much that he's just instead of doing his whole torture thing, he's escalated to just murdering people because that's the best that he can get off on, which I know sounds so fucking dark. Yeah, uh, but it's all, it's all working out. Like, he's, he, he just decides to kill Roos, and then, you know, oh, well, hey, I can just off my new half-brother and my father's wife with no one noticing. And, oh, you know, no one's, you know, okay, people are going to pick up that I killed my father. Oh, but they're just going to deliver me Rickon Stark. Like, it just, there's no consequences for these. It's not even the consequences. It's just, it's not staged in a way that makes it feel like he's unraveling to me. There are a couple moments, I guess, like that, like in in this episode, the moment where he, like, bites in the apple after felt a little, a little unhinged. But I don't know, like you say, Adam, it just feels like he still feels in control of the situation and feels like he's just doing business as usual, Ramsey business as usual. It just, it's just only because of his, is MO the right word? Like the, the way that he kills, the style that he tortures and kills people is changing from the norm, which makes me feel like it's escalating. I watch too many crime shows, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I feel like I'm driving this point home too much, but like I think it just falls back to the point that the showrunners haven't developed any other characters to play Ramsey off of, so yep. all we know at Winterfell is him. So it's all just deranged actions. If they took time, either develop the the Karstark or the Umbers and build some relationship to like just peer into like the dynamic of the North would be more interesting. It's just he's by himself hmm. in Winterfell. Yeah, that's well put. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, look at this episode. We've got the wall and even king's landing you know with the queen of thorns we've got a lot of characters colliding again and in the same place and playing off each other and i mean a lot of these scenes are actually really good but in winterfell you're right there's no one let's go ahead and go to our final bit uh, in vase dothrak starting with jorah and dario arriving at the city and making a plan to infiltrate it jorah tells dario that their best bet is to leave their weapons behind and disguise themselves as merchants Dario reluctantly agrees after discovering Jorah's grayscale infection. They enter the city and are forced to kill two Dothraki. Meanwhile, Danny makes a friend with another recently widowed Dashkaleen. I think. I don't know when it happened. The two meet up with Dario and Jorah when they go outside, and Daenerys tells them that they can't sneak out and that, that, and that she has a much better plan. Which, it would have to be better than their plan, right? Even, <laughs> even though her plan is... is to just right. try to walk away. <laughs> if anyone reads the the caption version of Game of Thrones on Reddit, he had he had Jorah's plan is let's disguise as rocks because of course Jorah <laughs> is on the way to doing that. 
Dario's supposed to be an idiot. He's well, like okay, one. so there's the part where he, like, he just grabs the rock and, and beats the guy's head to death as though this actually matters. And he's just like, hmm, that'll work. That was pretty idiotic. But. <laughs> yeah, he just... didn't really cover the wound. Well, you don't know where he hit it. He could have crushed his chest as well, just beat him all over the place. <laughs> I feel bad for the actor because it just feels like they haven't really given him anything to work with, so it's really hard to describe his character. He has this weird banter with Jorah that just feels flat and has nothing to it. It's like a dude yeah, I fucked her. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. You couldn't ride yeah. the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he might as well have just like pulled his pants down and peed on Jorah's leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really hard to, to know what to make of him. Do you wonder if there's a Sierge in Vice Dothrak where you check in your weapons <laughs> They give you a little ticket yeah, the, with your number okay. on it. The rules of Vice Dothrak don't make sense. Good evening, sir. Would you please unarm yourself and I can give you a place in the arms room. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be this whole huge armory full of sweet weapons. So that if this place is ever attacked, like, why don't, especially at a time like this, why don't the people who are preyed on by the Dothraki ever just attack during this? Because all the weapons are in one place, so if you get a bunch of people there before yeah, they, they get Yeah, they have to all weapons, take a ticket, and it's a huge good. line. It would never work out for the Dothraki. But then later on when I the mean, calls are talking, they're like, yeah, man, what's going on here? You know, there's, we're not supposed to have any blood. Well, there's always a little blood. That, you know? that was weird. Like, but like so blood the does matter? Seemed, the, the Kal Moro seemed weirdly progressive about it. He was like, yeah, fuck him. <laughs> like, it, shit happens. But also, I, at least I, the Dario thing, at least the Dario thing, they played it, like, idiotic. They played it like he was doing something really stupid, right? Like, there was no logic to that. Yeah. I just wonder what his place in the show is going to be, because in the book, it seems like he's in line to be like a backstabber of some kind. But here, like I said, I just I don't know what to think of him. Like, is he an idiot or does he actually love her? Is he in awe of her? What What is his purpose other than to rib Jorah? Any other thoughts on this first bit? We, we haven't talked at all about the Dash Kaleen part. I kind of liked it. No, I, to... I, I love that. I have to say. I did. I really liked that these women were like treated like women and were kind of like, yeah, this sucks that this might have to happen to you, Danny. And like, I don't know, like all the at first I was like, oh, it's like like mean Khaleesi's. But then I realized it wasn't that it was, you know, last like, episode it was right. Last episode it was, yep. but it was still kind of humanizing. Yeah. But then the, and then this episode, like they're yeah. all kind of like in it together. And I, a- I don't know, that was might have been one of my favorite unexpected things that happened on the show in a long time. Yeah, this episode, they were like, you're so fetch, Danny. (laughs) And then then Danny goes outside and is burning. I'm saying how much they stink, those old women. Danny is a mean girl. Who is the dead woman? mean girl. Danny is is Regina George. (laughs) Who is the dead woman outside? Was that just a random Dosh Colleen, or who is that? Who? What? Outside, the, when the door, when the, when the, I'm like going forward a little bit, but like the, when the door is locked and we see it's barred from the outside, like those were the guards. That, those were guards. The, those the were Dario and Oh, I thought that was a woman. Okay. Now they just have long I'm hair. It was kind of weird that Danny wasn't surprised at all to see Dario and Jorah hundreds of miles away from where she left them. They just show up and she's like, "Oh, hey guys, don't hurt her." Oh, I don't know. It took you long. Well, she, Danny, she's quick on her feet. What, what would she have done if they hadn't showed up? I mean, the same thing, probably. They didn't probably do anything. She, yeah, they literally did <laughs> yeah. nothing. So. Yeah, she, she would just well, use the Dash Colleen, really. But someone lock. would have had to have barred the door and the, the Dash Colleen did it. it. She did it. The whole she did it. Yeah, they, did, they literally did. Yeah, she got her new friend. 
But we just said someone had to kill the guards. And yeah, you assume Jordan that a woman that. couldn't do that? Oh, <laughs> I don't have well, No weapons. Maybe she's a, a ninja. <laughs> Are they just going to, like, she's going to get the other Dosh Kalini to sit there and link arms and be like, you can't unbar the door. So well, like, act, which Dosh Kalini do you tell that wouldn't tell the, the calls that, oh, by the way, this woman's trying to kill you? Maybe or, she pulls the... She, okay, so, like, we've confirmed that she's fireproof, so maybe, like, she just pulls the fireproof trick like see look i don't burn i'm magic is she fireproof or does she not need oxygen to breathe Both. i'm not sure what her magical power is who poured the All gasoline the on the floor of the hut it was just very flammable material there's if you look in the background you can see jora sneaking away with a gas can uh, <laughs> so, so yeah let's go ahead, uh, yeah as we're as we're picking away at our final scene we have Danny, Danny standing before the calls, telling the story of Drogo and all the great deeds he promised he would do. She says the gathered men are unfit to rule the Dothraki and that she will take their place. When they refuse to serve her, she pushes two braziers to the floor. The hut goes up in a blaze and the calls die screaming. The door barred by Danny's Dash Kaleen friend. Danny emerges from the ashes unburnt and the Dothraki bow down before her. Yes, stallion that mounts the world. It's Danny. Let's worship this woman who killed all yes. our leaders. For killing your leader is how you become the new leader. So that, that actually is, is a Dothraki's their culture. Yeah. Well yep. done. But right. if they value strength above all, would they care about doing that through guile? She's I strong mean, yeah, enough she that pushed, fire cannot harm she her. She pushed the braziers down and set them on fire. That's pretty. That's pretty strong. If anyone is weak, it was the cows because they didn't survive the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it was. I mean, Danny has the best music every single season, and this was no exception. I just, I didn't find it that impressive. I was like, I, 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 you know, everybody, everybody was like, you know, I had friends on Facebook and Twitter who were like, oh my gosh, Danny, badass wall, and I was like, all right, because it's kind of like she's done this trick before. Yeah, right. but this time she did it without her dragons, all by herself. I don't think this was my favorite scene. Like, it was definitely shocking and awesome and super cool, but the the, the big scene for me this episode was John and Sansa, oh, yeah. hands down. I wasn't that excited, actually. And in fact, <laughs> that actually... This this thing actually ranks pretty low on my list on things I should no. enjoy about this episode. It's it, it seems done. It was it seems tried. It, and, yeah. and, and it's like We've seen this side of Danny all the time. This triumphant girl, white messiah, white haired messiah type thing. All the brown people worshiping her. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's playing her greatest hits. Like, okay. let, me, let me see if I can convince her. Oh, and if, you know, maybe not. But, like, at the very least, what what is, what is the alternative? Like, we get a trial and maybe Drogon comes and, like, we get two or three more episodes of me- messing around with this. No, it's not. This it's is not just, about... it's done and we're moving on and it's cool. Again. And, Again, I'm, I don't care about. Again, I said so I think that's my fundamental disagreement with you in, in that I don't actually care about them moving forward as long as they have a good. They they I want them to have a moving forward towards an actual goal I care about, and, and this is not. And I'm, I don't I don't find this impressive. I'm sorry. You don't think that a Dothraki army and then flee so, moving west quicker is is a good endpoint? No, I mean, sure, but it's, it, it, I mean, the scene itself just doesn't impress me because it's been done. Well, so I think just raw, like, I, I enjoyed it. I, I can totally see what you're saying, though, Bing. And I think it's true that I think the writers definitely, like, trapped themselves here where they got to this and they're like, how yeah. are we, wait, like are we going to get the Dothraki? 
wait a minute, what if she just pushed yeah, some yeah. razors over and burned them? It seems it seems incredibly simplistic solution that over over what should be a very complex problem. But I guess I appreciated the surprise because I expected something more complex. I expected okay. I expected her to find a way out of it, to find a way to convince them, or for Drogon to miraculously show up, which also would have been. Not that would have been not, great. No, that wouldn't have been great either. Um, but yeah, so I was expecting something different. All of a sudden, she starts pouring over, you know, these braziers, and I'm like, uh, what's going on? And because I'm not, you know, I'm still not realizing the show has her 100% fireproof. So it it took me a minute to kind of go, okay, you know, and, and it was a nice to me. It was like a nice like surprise because I just wasn't expecting it. Like I agree with you, Bing. It felt extremely contrived lazy writing but to adam to your point you're kind of convincing me there probably wasn't a better alternative eventually and it does push the plot along but i just thought like really we're d- gonna do this and it just felt boring kind of no boring's not the rule it just felt really lazy yeah it was definitely intentionally echoing the past things that she's done mm-hmm. about this is where she came from this is kind of who she is what she does and it doesn't mean it's good or great but it I do think it. I was enjoying it while it was happening, liked it, and I was happy about it. Looking back, I can obviously see the flaws about it, but I'm happy to get it over at this point and see where it goes next. Yeah, it was well shot. The score was great. Like everything looked great. Mm-hmm. Sure. My problem is in book logic. In fact, I've, in fact, if they they done something completely different and that's and completely separate from the books, I would be happy. I'm in fact just tired of the fact. And maybe because I study Asian history of a bunch of, like you said, a bunch of non-white people bowing down to a white person. Repeatedly. Yeah, that's a, that's I a mean, greater issue than we all, we all kind of, That's a greater uh, issue with the storytelling here. I don't think we can accuse yeah, this scene sure. of, of that. Oh. And how else is she going to get the Dothraki following her without people being like white savior? You know, like, yeah, you can think of ways. I can't point to a thing in the scene and go like, that was that. You know, it's just that I think that all together it was kind of samey and mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it would have been more badass if Danny had like empowered the Doge to like take over or something like to, that. To like murder the calls. Yeah. Like yeah, something cool. like that. Like have them all perform. Like, oh, oh, a secret ceremony. Now that I think about it, that would have probably been better <laughs> if they, if they had gone with that with, I mean, cause that seemed what, like it was almost building towards that. Right. With the Dosh Colleen kind of taking, yeah. taking yeah. back, uh, yeah. back power. Yeah, like what if, like what if we had the whole Dosh Colleen like on the outside of it, just built burning down the building, and then Danny still comes out as being the unburnt, but it's it's a group effort. Well, I say this proves that we should be yeah, doing the show instead of them. We're much yeah, better. Let's do it. Oh. I mean, I I still totally bought the scene, and I do think to some extent they were doing the the Dosh Colleen thing with the, at least her pal Dosh Colleen. She did help her in this action, so it was that to some extent. One of the uh, things that I also kind of took from it was personally an Ares connection, how she just watches her enemies burn. And I'm like, ooh, that's, and was loving that's a little... It. Yeah, that, yeah, she's like smiling the entire time. I'm like, ooh, that's a little foreboding. I mean, I know these dick suckers like all just kind of deserve it, but where do you draw the line where you start really enjoying burning people to death? Fire is the champion of House Targaryen. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> One funny observation of the scene, when it pulls out to the wide shot and there's a huge circle and they're all buying that bowing down, what are the people on the other side of the circle bowing down to? All they see is a burning house. 
and everybody else bowing down because she's just on that side of the hut, <laughs> so they can't see her at all. They just see everyone else bowing no, down. No, the, the word passed. Bowing to the fire. It's, yeah. yeah, it's like once someone it's bows, like, hey, what's everyone bowing head? down to? <laughs> well, I what's feel going like, on over there? Just like, bow. When everybody puts their finger on their nose, the last one. Yeah, well, obviously Jorah has to clean, or um, Dario has to clean up because he was the last one to deal. <laughs> this thing wasn't that bad. I was just, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's bad. It's I mean, just... first to say, like, in the, in reading the book, Game of Thrones, Danny was absolutely my favorite character and the only character that I ever really skipped chapters ahead for. And it's been a while since it kind of petered out at, at the end of A Storm of Swords and through Dance with Dragons and also in the show. That I've really been excited about her story, and I was excited when I when I saw this moment. And it's it might be that I'm being emotionally manipulated, and there there are the obvious callback to the, to the thing with the, the dragons. It's possible, but yeah, like I was I was yeah. into it, and I recognize all the problems. But it, it, it's it's fun to get to just get excited about about Game of Thrones sometimes. But yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap it there with our fourth episode review of Game of Thrones season six, Book of the Stranger. Join us next week for episode five, The Door. Directed by Jack Bender and written once again by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. They're writing them all these days. It feels like... I wonder if they do. Well, they, I'm curious who's really writing Dave, Dave Hill. But that's the only one thus far that's been someone else. For some reason, they haven't released all the writers. I haven't found them anywhere except like when the episode happens. But All right, well, that'll be that for this episode. Thank you guys very much for listening, and thank you guys very much for joining me for this review. Check us out on iTunes, on the VOK Podcast WordPress on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Tumblr, and on the podcast device and fire forums if you'd like to join the discussion. That is that. Thank you, guys. And oh, and t- oh, yes, and Tinder, our new <laughs> Tinder VOK. Yeah, you forgot to, <laughs> We'd like to yes. check it out. That's, we have, that's a thing we have, apparently. So, so yes, that's... We're all oh, oh, guys. Swipe whichever way means yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can tell you use the app quite a bit. I can never remember when pe- people are talking about the swiping things. Ah, uh, the kids and their swiping. Know. It's just all oh, crazy. Those kids and the swiping. Get off my YouTube. And, and that's it, guys. Thank you very much. Oh and we'll God. be back next week. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Goodbye.
Fire is the champion of House Targaryen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, have fun editing this, Zach. So confused right now. <laughs> I think I'm gonna hate this oh, episode. Fire is the champion of House Targaryen. Yeah. <laughs> She's gonna use dragons to lay little dragons as drone <laughs> dragons. <laughs> no. Drone gone. Drone gone. Yeah. I love it. I swear to God. Fire is the champion of House Targaryen. Yeah. I was really hoping for like a secret horde ninja plot assassination thing <laughs> can poor ninjas walk through walls yeah ninjas always walk know. through walls fire is the champion of house targaryen yeah everyone dies eventually not me fire is the champion of house targaryen yeah i think i broke my leg